Welcome to the Live Music NorCal podcast, episode number four, with special guest Hal Johnson. Hal is well known and liked in the community as both a musician and as an admin for the Facebook group Reading Area Events, where he shares and promotes just about everything that comes his way with nearly 4,500 members. It's safe to say that if this podcast is reaching your ears, you probably know who he is, at least by name. But who is Hal really? Find out in a moment. First, locally, Sunset River Jam begins tonight, taking over for Mosquito Serenade. And the widely popular Hill Street Band will be their headlining, with Dusty Foster opening up. Eric Church hits the Reading Civic Auditorium on Friday, and there are a number of big events around the larger region, including Jonas Brothers, Fish, and Megadeth. How's that for variety? Local venues all have music booked this week, including Sweet Spot, The Park, Evening on the Green, Friday Night in the Park, Demented Designs, Riverfront Playhouse, there's open mic nights, options abound. I'll say it again, check the calendars at livemusicnorcal.com and follow along on social media to keep up with it all. Now, my conversation with Hal Johnson. I'm so glad to get a chance to sit down and talk with you and give everyone, and when I say everyone, we're talking about more than 2,600 friends on your Facebook account. We're talking about over 4,400 members of Reading Events Group, which you post not only music, but all kinds of events in regularly. You're a well-connected guy on the social media end of things, and I suspect we'll have a lot of people interested to know a little bit more about you. So welcome. I'm, I'm glad to have this chance to chat with you. Well, thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate you inviting me. And, uh, you know, hearing you say all that, uh, suddenly my self-esteem has improved, <laughs> you know, like twofold, but uh, I really do appreciate it. And sure. I can tell that, you know, what you do with your website and uh, and uh, your Facebook page and uh, t- adopting um, the uh, News Cafe music column, you know, that you've, you're very driven to help out with that, too. And I, I know a lot of people have gotten to know you, in a sense, in a, in a short period of time. And I, I can speak for them all, I think, when I say I really appreciate it. Well, I'm very appreciative of you as well, uh, because most of the events that I'm able to post about, I find out through you. <laughs> so <laughs> keep well, going. It goes both ways, because uh, <laughs> as we both know, um, I discovered that I'd failed to publicize my gig that I had at uh, Sweet Spot a couple of days ago, because you posted it. I forgot my own gig. That's embarrassing. All right, so let's get into music. Let me just start by asking you to describe yourself, your music. How would you describe your music? I would say that it, I'm, it's kind of a mix of folk and uh, alt-country. Alt-country has kind of gone by the wayside and kind of been assimilated into the, the broad Americana genre tag. But I think I think alt country is still valid. And still applies. I think we see a, a number of uh, young artists that are on the scene today, such as uh, Sarah Sarah Shook, 
who I think really fits into the alt country mode. But yeah, I, I would say uh, folk and alt country. I used to try to come up with a fancier descriptions, but it, it kind of sounded phony coming out of my mouth, so I gave it up. What does singing and playing that type of music say about you? That I enjoy stories. Uh, I grew up a real hard rock pre-metal fan. Uh, matter of fact, my wife and I, we were invited to do a, a high school radio show uh, down in uh, Camarillo in Ventura County. And we were the first people, as far as I know, in Southern California to play Aerosmith when their second album came out. Uh, their first album at first wasn't a big seller. And uh, I actually had to talk the supervising disc jockey into letting us play it because he didn't feel like it was commercial enough. Wow. Now, to his credit, to this day, that second Aerosmith album is pro probably gets the least airplay. It is probably the least commercial of what Aerosmith did, but in my mind, also probably the most artistic. What made you want to become a musician? How did Where did that first come about for you? I think my dad put the spark in me. Uh, I'd always enjoyed music. Uh, my dad was injured on the job and out of commission for a while. And about the time he went back to work, he started learning to play guitar. He'd never played in his youth. He was a truck driver, you know, he was on the road a fair amount. But uh, after he recovered, he, uh, he got a position where he was driving mainly locally and he was home at night, which we all, us, my sister and I really enjoyed. And he started playing and he had a, my dad had a real, um, I, I describe his voice as kind of a blend of Waylon Jennings and Hank Williams, the first Hank Williams. He kind of fairly quickly got some notoriety in uh, Ventura County, had a pretty good following going. And I would occasionally play bass or rhythm guitar in his band. And it got to the point that he was no longer so embarrassed that he wouldn't let me sing a song or two at night. And that kind of that kind of put the spark in me. Yeah. Um, I was in a couple of garage bands uh, in junior high and high school. And then, as often happens, you know, I went into the Army after a four-and-a-half-year stint in the Army. I got hired by PHI. I spent 34 years with them and just kind of got more into making a living. Never gave up playing guitar and singing, but uh, there were times, I think one period, I went two years without even picking up a guitar. So basically, I was never a front man, uh, but I did perform in public and uh, ended up taking a 30-year break from playing in public. <laughs> Do you remember when your first time playing live in front of an audience was? When and where that was? I think it was called the Ojai Inn. It was not actually in Ojai. It was in, I think, Casita Springs. And it, it was a bar that would just get jam-packed when my dad played there. Uh, my dad had a drummer who was at one point fired by Johnny Cash from the guy's house you could see up on the hill where Johnny Cash's ex-wife still lived and uh, yeah that was his claim to fame my dad had a drummer who was fired by Johnny Cash well that is a claim to fame I think <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here's a question for you that I was pondering as I was thinking about this podcast today is it true that you played the snowman in the Christmas classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, if it is, I was doing some pretty impressive sleepwalking. 
That's okay. all I can say. Okay. Burr Lives is uh, known in a, in a folk music world, uh, a lot of traditional uh, songs and whatnot. Um, so I'm ribbing you there a little bit because of the beard and whatnot. But does he did he have any influence on you musically, uh, you know, aside from just being a, a lovable bearded guy? <laughs> oh, uh, thank you. I appreciate the acknowledgement there. Um, yeah, I always like Burl Ives, Woody Guthrie, a lot of the old, what we would consider traditional folk artists now. Although I, I think uh, Arlo Guthrie probably lit the spark with me a little bit more, because uh, both because I was old enough to, where I think I started playing guitar when I was 12, my dad's guitar, which he would uh, threaten me if I damaged it. Sure. He finally gave me my own. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, you know, again, I was, you know, junior high and high school, I was pretty much into uh, hard rock. I, I still enjoyed folk in some country. I felt like I had to hate mainstream country because that's all my parents listened to. Although, strangely enough, I always enjoyed listening to my dad perform. When I, uh, after I got out of the army and got hired by PHI, I was working in Louisiana. A couple, uh, the guy was a, a, another pilot with PHI. He and his wife kind of adopted me. They lived about an hour from the base we were working at. And they introduced me to the, uh, what I call the Texas Troubadours. Uh, people like Guy Clark and uh, Willis Allen Ramsey, who made one album and never made another one. And, uh, you know, I could go on and on. Um, and it, it just, it really opened my eyes to how much value I'd always, without really acknowledging to myself, put on a guy that could get up with just him and his guitar or a woman and tell a story and captivate the audience. And I became a real fan of, uh, of the, uh, the Austin scene, the early 70s Austin scene. Uh, one of the great heartaches of my life will be that I moved to Austin for a year before I went back to California. I moved there uh, about six months after the uh, famous and somewhat notorious uh, Armadillo World Headquarters closed. It was a, an old National Guard armory that a couple of buddies decided to buy and turn it into a music venue. And that really kind of set the stage for this incredible scene in Austin where you see uh, cowboys and hippies get together enjoying the same music. It kind of bridged the divide there, and I think, to a degree, I think we're still benefiting that, benefiting from that today. Talk about how folk music is really ingrained in much of what what we listen to, or, or where has it touched? Where are the commonalities? You know, one thing I wonder, uh, and I don't know this for a fact, but I, I find that the evolution of folk music. Uh, really interesting. I can remember being fairly aware of the new folk moment movement, which I believe was in the 80s with artists such as John Gorka, who has played here uh, locally. And it, it occurred to me when I became a fan of the Austin scene that those Texas troubadours, so to speak, had really brought a big folk element into what they did. And that, that was what distinguished it from just a guy getting up front of audience with no band and a guitar 
and singing country songs because uh, it wasn't just the the means of performing that changed. You know, the stripped down guy with his guitar, maybe another guitar or mm -hmm. banjo or something. It was also that the songs themselves had the elements of of country and uh, more of a fringe element of country and folk. And uh, Willis Allen Ramsey, who is uh, really influential more than you would think from because of only releasing one album, uh, I think he really was sort of a master at that, of presenting this melding of folk and country in a way that just seemed absolutely natural and organic. Yeah. I think the, the lyrics and the storytelling aspects are what really bring the folk piece into any of those songs uh, into it, to me. And you mentioned a lot of names that, I'll be frank, I just don't even know uh, who they are. So I've got some lessons to learn. But let me mention some artists that I would know. And just talk to me for a second with each one about, do they kind of fit that mold? And if they do, you know, what are your thoughts about that artist? So I'll start with Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, just, uh, you know... I, obviously, I, I don't remember Simon and Garfunkel ever doing anything that was country flavored, but what a what an evolution in folk music, while still honoring the traditions of folk music. I can't imagine any artist that did that better. I was a fan of them in, in high school, uh, you know, not a huge fan where I would drive across the country to see them, but. but by the same token, I would have enjoyed seeing them. I'm sorry sure. I never did. Yeah, yeah. And that was a, you know, those were records I grew up that my mom was playing. Simon and Garfunkel mm. were, played a big part in that. How about John Denver? You know. I mean, he gets he gets put into country fairly often, and he has probably some more commercially successful songs uh, that fit that bill maybe a little bit better. But I feel like he really fits the folk music uh, label equally as well. I think that's a fair statement. Uh, he, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of, of him in his heyday. It was later on, especially after I started to perform myself after my 30-year break, that I, I realized, you know, this guy, he was talented. Now, he tended to be, the way he presented songs tended to be, not always, but tended to be relentlessly upbeat. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes that, um, some days are diamonds, the song that I cover once in a while when I do my gigs. Uh, it was almost like he camouflaged this rather dark, sad song in an upbeat tempo, yeah. you know. And I often wonder, because he had this image of, you know, yeah, hey, kind it's of a good, good to be boy. home again, yeah, and all the, yeah. all the uh, cheerful, upbeat stuff that maybe the, the, the message in that song was either ignored or never noticed by a lot of people. Yeah. Um, that song, by the way, was written by a fellow named uh, Dick Feller was his name. Yeah. And it, it was really a sad, mournful song that uh, I, I slowed down appreciably at my wife's assistance. I, I run every new song I learn or write by my wife for her stamp of approval before I'll play in public. <laughs> the band manager? Pretty much. Yeah, okay, yeah. sure. Um, how about James Taylor? Oh, yeah. Um, I think James Taylor and Cat Stevens 
really uh, just kind of planted the seed in me that, man, there's just something about an acoustic guitar. And you know, no disrespect towards solid body electric players out there because we've got some phenomenal talent in Shasta County. Um, but yeah, the acoustic guitar, it just, it just kind of awakened that in me again that there's a, a with some types of music, the acoustic just goes with it so well. Yeah. Now, I'm probably, if, if I betray a bias there, it's probably because I can't play a solid body electric guitar like a tele Telecaster worth a hoot. I squeeze it too hard. <laughs> and uh, my, my friend and former bandmate, Joe Blythe, who is an amazing guitarist, uh, would often tell me how you can play things softly once in a while. And after about a year playing with him, I finally started to learn that there is such a thing as dynamics. But yeah, uh, James Taylor, Cat Stevens, and, and that ilk, they, uh, they really kind of, I think, initially planted into me the seed that would grow up to be a, a big appreciation for the Texas troubadours of the early 70s and whatnot. Did uh, Neil Young fall into your radar somewhere along the way? Yeah. Uh, I remember the first time I heard Neil Young, I think I was a freshman in high school. The, uh, the teacher would play a lot of uh, acoustic music, and that was my first exposure to Neil Young. Okay. My, I'm sure people want to shoot me for saying this, but I'm, I don't think I'm the only one. At first, I couldn't stand the guy's voice. Mm-hmm. Now I hear Neil sing one note, and I'm like, you know, I think the endorphins get released or something. You know, yeah. obviously he's he's a giant in the music. Uh, I think Bob Dylan has that quality too. You could be turned off by it, I think, easily, but then come to appreciate it when years later maybe you have a different uh, viewpoint to come at it from. Yeah, could you imagine? Uh, and I think this about a lot of our legendary artists. Imagine uh, if Bob Dylan, say, in a fantasy scenario, nobody had ever heard of him. Say he's a young man again, and he, he tries to audition for America's Got Talent. I mean, Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan probably couldn't be arrested today, nor Johnny Cash. You know, it, yeah. it's, I think it's a little unfortunate. I'll admit to being entertained by those shows when I do watch them, but I think it's kind of led to putting a lot of uh, emphasis on vocal gymnastics. You know, I, I don't condemn them outright, I think, because I think there is some real talent out there that has been discovered mm-hmm. because of shows such as that and people that deserve more notice. But, you know, I just hope that it doesn't lead to people thinking there it's some sort of being end all. Yeah, yeah. I, even just thinking about here, getting into live music since the slow, initial at least, slowdown of the pandemic, and for myself, discovering more local artists and just being blown away by the the talent, the ability, the voices, the musicianship that I was missing out on before I really dove into the local music. I, I enjoyed music my whole life, and I've always gone to bigger concerts and enjoy big artists and big shows and um, never really dived very deep into local music. And, and doing that this year has just been eye-opening for me. 
And there's got to be people like that just all over the country who... I, I kind of have a parallel story, you know. After the, la the last time I played in public was actually with my dad uh, at my cousin's um, wedding reception, my cousin Brian. Hi, Brian, if you're, you end up listening to this. Um, by the way, Brian corrected me. I've, I've been putting out what little bios I do or whatever when I introduce myself that I took a 30-year break from uh, playing music in public, and Brian corrected me. No, it was only 28 years because you played at my wedding reception. There you go. He, uh, he actually insisted my dad and I get up there, and uh, we, uh, my dad and I had had a little bit of beer, so we were probably not at our best. Uh, I know Brian really enjoyed it, but his new father-in-law didn't seem to enjoy it that much. So. <laughs> Those Sorry, kinds Brian. of things are very subjective. I kind of left the point I was trying to make there, but I'm kind of very much with you. It's, it's been a few more years with me since I got back into music, but when I started going out to listen to people, I was kind of astounded. I said, there is some real talent in this uh, music community here. And also a lot of really nice folks. So the yeah. reason that I got involved in social media and, and started the, um, the live music column on a news cafe was just kind of really a way of paying it back. Cause I, here I was a guy, I'd never been a front man in my life, much less got up in front of the audience with only my guitar. And there was so much support out there. I think of uh, Steve and Diana Wallace uh, with the Pine Dogs, one of the most popular bands in the county. They would show up to my open mics and were always so encouraging and supportive. And would, I mean, sometimes after playing a gig that day, a daytime gig, they would pack up and come to my open mics and play again for nothing. You know, yeah. folks like that, you just, you just really uh, just want to hug their necks. And yeah. by the way, uh, shout out to Steve who had a little bit of a health issue, but I expect to see back in, in action really soon. Good, Love good. you, Steve and Diana. Place. Would I miss what I have now? 
Will my neighbors still know me? Cause I screamed too long to be out. Yeah.